0: We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 26 through verse 36, and God willing we're going to be here for two weeks. So if you miss next week, you're going to miss the back end of the sermon, and I'll be totally honest with you, next week's pretty good stuff. Hopefully this week is okay. So while you're flipping over there, I'm going to share with you a story about two friends who traveled together often and one always wore his seatbelt. Got in the car, buckled up, every single time. The other friend never wore his seatbelt. He found them constraining and confining. So they kind of banter back and forth. Joe, don't you know how dangerous it is to not wear your seatbelt? Well, Lou, they're just constraining. Never gonna be in an accident. It's no big deal. Dude, you could die in an accident without your seatbelt. I know all that, but, but it just, it chokes me. It chokes my neck, so I don't wear it. Well, this went on and on for years, and, Finally one day the guy who didn't wear a seatbelt got in the car and buckled up. His friend said, what happened with you? And he said, well, a friend of mine was in an accident and I went to visit him and he went through the windshield. 150 stitches in his face. So I'm buckling up now. It's not that that man learned something new. It's that what that man already knew became very real to him. Amen? Huh, seatbelts save lives. Wait a minute. Jesus saves lives. The question is, do we potentially live our lives knowing certain facts about Jesus, but never actually buckling up, a.k.a. abiding in him? And what does it take to give us the joy to buckle up or abide in Christ day by day, week by week, month by month? By month. How often do we know facts about Jesus but fail to apply those facts to our lives? We're going to go really slow here because how often do we know theoretically the joys and dangers of obedience or disobedience but don't seem to actually walk in light of those? For example, you guys all awake? Sure? <laughs> Does anyone here believe God is all powerful? All wise? Loving? Perfect in all his ways? Yeah? Anyone ever read Psalm 19? Verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rule of the Lord's are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you believe that's true? Intellectually, do you believe that's true? And here we go. Jesus saves lives. Do you want to buckle up? May I ask you a question? And I'm setting up Luke 9. Why do you do what you do? Do you know every single thing you do is driven by a motivation, most of which are subconscious? They're the result of what you've been conformed to. Did you know that? Think about it. Romans, 11 chapters of of gospel doctrine unpacked. Chapter 1, all the way through 11, just the gospel unpacked. What does Paul do right away Romans 12? He says, therefore, in light of all these truths, for those of you who are in Christ, what's the first thing he's really calling you to do? Think about why you do what you do. Don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, have a little fun with this. You ready? You have to work with me here. Why are you sitting where you're sitting right now? Don't answer out loud. Why are you sitting where you're sitting? There's a reason you're sitting where you're sitting. Do you know what the reason is, though? And here's the question. Is it based on who Christ is and who you are in Christ? Or is it based on something else? Why do you do what you do during the week? There's a motivation. Why why do you steward what you steward as you steward? What are you all doing this afternoon? Why are you doing it? You see, there's a motivation. And until we slow down and and dig into these motivations, we will never truly understand the joy of buckling into or abiding in Christ, but here's what drives it. Who is Christ, and why did he come? The text we're going to look at is a command, invite, invitation, and enticement of the Lord to abide in him, to buckle up in him, to understand more fully who he is and why he came. So are you all tracking with me here? Dylan's not? Everybody look at Dylan, make it awkward. Keep staring. Here he comes. He's coming around. I see him smiling. There is a reason we do what we do that we often don't think through. Let's focus our attention upon the reality of who Christ is. Luke 9. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took them, Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully weak, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love this, not knowing what he said. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? I'm only going to do who is Jesus and I hope I cut my sermon short. Because I want to let you guys chew on this for a week. So remember 920. Who is Jesus? What does Peter say in 920? You're the Christ. Correct answer. You get an A. Look at the next couple verses. Jesus says, you're right. Parallel accounts. Blessed be God for revealing that to you. Now just so you know, I'm going to die. You're going to die. That's what he said. And it's a little unsettling. So Jesus gives Peter two prophetic statements in verses 26 and 27. He says, I'm going to come back in glory, but before I do, some of you will see the kingdom of God before you die. Do you see that? Side note. How do you know if a prophet is true in scripture? Let's say that we're back in... Ota- o- My goodness. Let's say we're back in Old Testament days and I walk into the church. I understand that doesn't work. And I say, I am a prophet of God. The Lord has told me that Nicole is to bestow upon me her car, enrich his financial assets, and Roy his tie collection. Thus saith the Lord. What do you do? Did God say that? Give you an example. A prophet once told a man to punch him in the face. The guy didn't, and he got dead because he didn't listen to what God said. Well, how do you know if it's from God? Pattern. Prophets always have a near prophecy and a far prophecy, and the near becomes fulfilled so you know you can trust them in the far. Read the Old Testament. You'll see it. Something happening that you can see, so something that you might not be able to see you know will happen. Jesus says... I'm going to return in glory. But so you know this is true. Before you all die, some of you will see the kingdom come in full. So it basically boils down to this. Jesus says, I will come in glory. We would say, how do we know that's true? And he says, following the Old Testament principles, I'll show you a near prophecy that I I bring to pass so you know the far one is true. So see, I can't claim God told me to take Nicole's car, Rich's assets, and Roy's ties. Unless I can prophetically prove I'm a prophet of God by a near-term thing happen. Now, there ain't no prophets today. Don't go giving your stuff to lunatics telling you God told them they had a message for you, all right? We'll get to that another time if you want. So, Jesus graciously, lovingly settles Peter by saying, I am the Christ. What that means is I'll die and you'll die, but hang in there. I'll help settle this down for you. I will return in glory after I die, but so you know that's going to happen, three of you are going to see the kingdom. And he takes them up on a hill. How long after that did he take them up on a hill? Eight days. Do you guys believe the Bible's true? Trustworthy? Look at Matthew 17:1. Keep your finger there, go to Matthew 17:1. How many days was it? Hold up. Luke says eight. Matthew says six. Guys, it's all a sham. Let's get out of here and go drinking. (laughs) Luke says about eight. Matthew and Mark are counting the six full days. Luke's just putting the bookend days on the back end. I just share that to show you discrepancies are always reconcilable in Scripture. They go up up on the mountaintop, what happens to Jesus? This is flat and crazy. We may be too familiar with this. He takes Peter, John, and James. Why does he take Peter, John, and James? Well obviously Jesus uses the best looking people. (laughs) Awkward stares. It is his inner circle, but it's also a fulfillment of scripture. It's Deuteronomy um, 1915. Two or three witnesses to affirm truth. They go up and the appearance of his face was altered. That's what Luke says. His clothing became dazzling white. Matthew 17.2 says he was transfigured. The Greek word for transfigured metamorpho. You ever hear something sounds like that? Metamorphosis? You ever see a a worm become a butterfly or caterpillar probably a caterpillar not a worm (laughs) totally different aren't they but no same kind just metamorphosis takes place jesus truly god truly man but he metamorphosized he didn't become something new He revealed himself in his full glory. Who is Jesus? Does anyone have a hero, role model, someone you aspire to be like? I know for for Kim, the answer is, I don't know, I'm picking on Kim. Gonna draw someone out. Anyone have a role model? Anyone have a role model? When, when I was a kid, you know who mine was? Ricky Henderson. Right? You ever see Rich, Ricky catch a ball in left field? He'd come under that ball. He had this giant glove. Right, Koran? Caron? Hey, Koran's not even old enough to know this. He would snap catch that ball. And I had high aspirations in life. Well, then you get older, and, and maybe it's a, a famous person from history. Maybe it's George Washington. Maybe it's, it's Harriet Beecher Stowe. Maybe it's a, uh, you, you fill in the blank. We all aspire to be like someone or something. That's what drives what we do. Well, church folks, who do you aspire to be like? Come on, church answer. What's fuzzy with a long tail and four legs? Everything's Jesus, I just don't know how. It's an old joke. But do you see Jesus as a dead historical figure with certain attributes to model and advice to give for your benefit? Or do you see him as a very present help in times of trouble? The living God. El Shaddai. Do you know what they just saw on the mountain? Jesus is is not a historical figure from times past. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, eternally begotten. He is God by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created. And these guys stood on a mountaintop with God. I mean, can we just chew on that for a minute? Who revealed himself in his glory. Remember Moses? Wait a minute, doesn't Moses show up here in about a minute? Actually, Moses shows up in about a week. Bear with me. Moses used to... uh, Ascend the hill. Go into the tabernacle. Exodus, for example, 34. We get to verse 29. Moses came down from Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses didn't know that what? The skin on his face shone because he had been talking. With God. You ever see the moon in the sky at night? Do you know how you see the moon? It reflects the light of the sun. Jesus didn't shine like Moses. Jesus was not the moon, Jesus is the sun who was the sun. Jesus is the Shekinah glory of God. Can you all hang on to this for a minute? God himself took on flesh to become one of us so that he might save us by living the life required of us that we never could, by dying the death we all deserve, and placing his righteousness upon us, being both just and the Justifier. Now, this this leads to several interesting questions. Why did Jesus do this? What are Moses and Elijah doing there? You want to have a little fun? How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Well, they obviously had kid Bibles with pictures. (laughs) Moses is a good-looking white guy with a long white beard right? If that's what you expect, good luck when you get to heaven. I don't think you'll recognize Jesus either. Heads up on that one. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I have, I have a lot of years of seminary training. Got a can of alphabet soup behind my, my last name. So I know the answer to this, and I'm willing to share it with you. You guys Ready? I know not everyone can invest the time I do into study and academic pursuits, so you'd never be able to figure this out on your own. So I'm going to share this with you. You guys ready? Pardon my pride, but you know, sometimes you have to boast. Well, I would assume Jesus just introduced them. It's a joke, guys. (laughs) The way they knew is probably because Jesus just said, Hey, Peter, Moses, Elijah. Nothing special going on there and how they knew. Same way when, when, when you meet people, you know who they are. Hey, guys, Dorothy, Dorothy, guys. Very much like that. What were they doing there? This cloud, ooh, hang on a minute. This cloud came down, consumed them. You ever read about a cloud in Scripture? I don't remember dance parties in the cloud. Wait a minute. Jesus's face shone. His appearance was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. Now you know what I expect to read next? And they all perished in his presence. Remember my man Uzzah, Patty's favorite person in the Bible. Uzzah's just following the ark And what happened to Uzzah? Just trying to help God out. Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. And what happened to Uzzah? Uzzah was touched by God and dropped dead. Why? Because he didn't understand his hands were dirtier than the dirt on the ground. He was a man in sin. Not perfect. But Before we can really dig into this, We need to settle all the way back down with these questions about who is Jesus. Because, see, here's the problem I have with time. What were Moses and Elijah doing there? Well, that's next week. You see this word, departure? Give you a little insight. You got a little footnote mark in your Bible there, maybe? Tiny little number next to it, anybody? See a lot of glasses snapping down on your faces here. Anybody see that? Check that one out. We'll come back to that next week. Blow your mind when you unpack this. This cloud, see, I remember this cloud on Sinai, coming out of Egypt, in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And when I hear about the cloud, the high priest went in once a year with jingly bells on the bottom of his his fine clothes in case he dropped dead. But all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John are just hanging out in the cloud. Who is this Jesus, and why did he come? And then I I see the Father speak and say something very particular. In fact, if you read this properly, what he's saying is, Peter, shut your mouth. This is my son. Listen to him. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Again, we'll dig into that next week. But before we can unpack all of these truths about why Jesus came and who we are in light of that, can we just take a minute and pray that the Lord would humble us immensely? Who is Jesus? Luke has been laboring for nine chapters. Could you imagine if he wrote at the same speed I preach? This book wouldn't be finished yet. Did you know the Holy Spirit have to work through that? Luke says, verse 1 of 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? Verse 4, That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. What have they been taught? Boom, 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 boom. Marvelous declarations of who God is. And here's what I'm afraid happens way too often. Little kids want to be like Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. Big kids want to be like Louis Zamperini, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Eric Lydell, Elizabeth Blackwell, Richard Allen, or George Washington. You might not even know who all those people are. Marvelous life stories to read. But those who are saved have been saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. He is he to whom we should aspire not only to be like in the appropriate context in his humanity, but to glorify with all of our lives. And here's the wrestle that we have. And my friends, this is the mark of a maturing believer. We slow down. you know the verse, be still and know that I am God? One of the most distorted verses in all of Christendom, in my opinion. Be still and know that I am God. How do you know when you've done enough of it? That's not what the verse means. It might imply sitting down. It certainly implies, shh. Slow down. Examine yourself. Preach truth to yourself. Look at your circumstances. And let the truth of God determine your circumstances, not your circumstances determine the truth of God. Said another way, back to nine twenty. You remember the flow here? We got the crowds coming, Jesus healing, Jesus feeding. Peter confesses, but you but who do you say I am? Peter says, the Christ of God and strictly charging them, commands them to tell this to no one, saying, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That doesn't make sense in Peter's worldview. Peter's going, Jesus, hold on a minute. You're Messiah? What are you talking about? You're going to be betrayed and killed. God doesn't die. Messiah doesn't die. I know the end of the story. You rule and you reign. And by the way, I'd like to be the chief of staff in the kingdom. Then the other guys are, nah, I want that position. I want to be the vice president. I want... This makes no sense. Jesus graciously says, hold on. If anyone wants to come after me, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Saying, guys stop associating with your old self be killing sin day by day and follow me doing what i say not what you assume i say by ignorance or distortion for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for what does the profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself do you understand how unsettling what jesus is saying truly is even in? In our context, understanding the suffering servant who will return as a sovereign in glory. Peter didn't have that context. We do. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the son be ashamed when? What does it say? When what? You all with me here? When. When he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You know the difference between Jesus and Captain America? Captain America is not real. You know the difference between Jesus and George Washington? George Washington is dead. Jesus is alive and rules and reigns, and he will come again. Then he says to them, but so you know I'll come again. I'll tell you truly there are some standing here, you know what it means, who will not taste death? It's a Jewish expression, just means you won't die. It, it was the bitterest cup to be consumed, was a cup of death in Judaism. That, that's how they use this as an expression. Some of you will not taste death until they've seen the kingdom of God. So, so people have seen power of the kingdom, right? But they've never been behind the curtain to see the kingdom in full. We all have seen power of the kingdom at work. And, in saving people, in maturing people, and if God intends to, to heal people, whatever. We've seen power at work, but the kingdom itself, Jesus says, I'll give you a preview, a private screening of the kingdom of God at the second coming. And they go behind the curtain, they fall asleep. Do you know, it's interesting, it's a passive participle in the Greek. Sleep consumed them. They didn't just lay down for a nap. Sleep consumed them. Why? Feel the emotional roller coaster they're on. These guys have a decent fishing business. A year and a half ago, it got all, all uprooted. They're following Jesus. He just fed 25,000 people out of nothing. They declare, you are the Christ. Jesus goes, you're right. I'm going to die, and you're going to die. They're like, what? 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 Come on, we'll go up a mountain. I'll show you the kingdom. What? They get up there. They are overwhelmed. They they are consumed. They are physically beaten down, emotionally beaten down. They, They are a mess. And they just pass out. But while they're on the mountain, and I love how Moses and Elijah show up. And wait till you see what they're doing there. While they're on the mountain, Jesus transformed. Jesus metamorphosized. Jesus was transfigured. Hebrews. Flip over to Hebrews for a minute. Hebrews after Philemon. Interesting, if you're interested. The Bible goes in flow of authors, Romans, through Philemon, Paul's letters, Longest to shortest, that's how they're organized. Hebrews after Philemon, they think Paul wrote it. No one's sure, that's why it's there. There's your free takeaway for Sunday. Verse 3 of chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So let's just land this today here. Who is Jesus? Let me ask it a different way. Do seatbelts save lives? Do you wear your seatbelt? Does Jesus save lives? Is Jesus all loving, all wise, all powerful, perfect in all his ways? You sure? Do you buckle up? Do you abide in him? Now the correct answer, and folks don't miss this, is not as I ought. Not as I used to. Not as I will. But not as I ought. Well, what motivates us to buckle in? Well, for the guy in the front who was watching a friend go through a window and get 150 stitches in his face. There's an aspect of that. We'll get to that next week with the second coming. But in a far more full sense, why did Jesus come? You know there are a dozen answers to that question. But there's one foundational answer behind it. I'll pick one of the dozens before we get to the foundation next week. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only eternally begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Can you hang on to this thought? Just take this one thought with you today. Do you know how much Jesus really loves you? Anyone here have good parents growing up? It's a rarity, isn't it? Anyone have good parents growing up? Danny didn't put her hand, i <laughs> You remember, you remember when you're like four or five or six? You know those, those maybe seven, those first memories you had when, when your parents' will and your will were in conflict and you just thought your parents were the dumbest people on the planet? If I don't get that Lego Super Star Wars set, my life is ruined. If I can't go to that sleepover, everyone's going to hate me. If I can't stay out till 2 in the morning with my girlfriend, I'm going to be a monk my whole life and die in sorrow. You remember those? Then you got older and you, you had that moment in time where you had to call your mom and dad or sit down with them one day and say to them, guys, you're way smarter than I thought you were. I am so sorry for how stupid I must have appeared. Thank you for not just letting me do what I wanted, but guiding me in what I needed. Anyone have that experience? Dirty little secret, speaking to you as a parent, my kids will just have to not listen to this. Us parents don't know what the heck we're talking about half the time. We're just trying our best to point our kids to Jesus and guide them in the way they should go, and we're looking back and we're going, oh my goodness, how badly are we messing them up, God? But not God, perfect in all of his ways, loves you beyond your ability to comprehend, reveals to us who he is so we might know him and delight in him, brings these three up on a mountaintop, and don't miss this, Brings us with them. Do you see that? Do you know why this is in scripture? He brings us with them. And he reveals to us far more fully who he is. And what he will look like when he returns. Jesus is not contrary to to pictures you see. An effeminate-looking man in clean white clothes. Jesus is God incarnate. In fact, every superhero movie is actually about Jesus. You know the scene in the old Superman where he like lost his powers? I don't remember the whole story, but he got into a fight in a diner. Y'all remember this scene? And then that like truck driver guy beat him up, and then at the end of the movie he comes back. And he's back to Superman, you know, he's Clark Kent in it. But he walks in and and that truck driver's sitting there. You remember this? Before special effects were good. And he just beat that man down, right? He all, whoop, spun him on the stool. You remember that? Right? Do you know who Jesus is? For a little while, it looked like Jesus got beat up by the bad guy. But he didn't stay dead. He got back up and he showed up and he whooped the bad guy dead. Every single superhero movie just points to Jesus. Every horrible hallmark show points to Jesus because we want a happy ending, don't we? And they all lived happily ever after. What is the deal with Hallmark movies? There's always a, there's like a a star and and a a sick relative and money's running. You can skip to the end, they're all fine. (laughs) Old Yeller, I hate that movie. A boy's got to shoot his dog. That ain't right, but that's the effect of sin. Jesus fixed the plot. We cry that's not right. Jesus steps into history and goes, I know. But I have come to make all things new again. Who is this guy on the mountain who radiates the glory of God? His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. God with us but also God for us. Mm. I'm ready to start the sermon now. Do you see the problem I have? But here's all I want you to take. Friends, don't let the devil make you cynical. Life will kick you in the teeth again and again, and again, and again, and you will cry out just like Psalm 44, God, please get up and help. Listen to the word of God. He got up. He is your help. He is your strong shield, and he's in full control of everything going on. He was kicked in the teeth, but he broke the power of the one who kicks in teeth he defeated death fear not so as you go through life might we just slow down might we might we think am i buckled in am i trusting jesus why am i doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'm harboring bitterness. Maybe Quran irritated me. I'm making this up. Well, we'll do this in public. No, I'm kidding. Maybe Quran irritated me. Well, you know what? Don't mess with me. I'm my favorite person. So since he irritated me, I'm going to make him look bad. I'm going to do it in a way where I can make him look bad to make me look good. I better put on my seatbelt real quick. Because why do I care so much that Quran irritated me? At a foundational level, friends, because I want Quran to love me. I want Quran to accept me. I want Quran to appreciate me. Well, he can't do that like Jesus can. Fully known and fully loved by Jesus. Why do I steward what I steward as I steward it? If I'm the guy in the wilderness with the manna, you know I'm coming out with three coolers. But God's going to rot that stuff up till I learn the joy of taking one day at a time. See, I carry coolers because I trust in the coolers. I don't really trust so well in Jesus. And the reason I don't trust so well in Jesus is because I don't yet know Jesus like I one day will. Jesus is not a dead historical figure. He is the God of glory. Okay, I have like five points to make. I can't do this to you guys. No. We'll we'll stop here. We got the who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? You know how badly I want to talk about Moses and Elijah right now? You know what, this word departure, the cloud, God the Father speaking. Let's do that next time. This time, can we just remember who Jesus truly is, who we are in him, and slowly, day by day, do the hard work of denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and following Jesus. Not making scripture say what we want it to, but allowing ourselves to listen to Jesus in what he says in truth. We can love each other because he first loved us. We don't have to be people pleasers because God is well pleased with us. Dirty little secret. You don't even have to be dependent upon one another to care for you. Because God will care for you perfectly. Here's a little lie I believed years ago. I'm good in trusting God for his provision. But I'm not good in the fact he has to use people to do it came to faith working in a corporate context. I trust God if he actually wrote my paychecks and signed them, but having to work for a boss who's not God, see, that's a little unsettling. Because what if he decides one day not to give me my paycheck? You want the secret? God rules and reigns over everybody's boss. Nebuchadnezzar didn't rule the kingdom, you know that? God ruled the kingdom, he just used Nebuchadnezzar in the process. In fact, at the end of Jesus's life, it's a funny thing here, the high priest Caiaphas, I think it's in Matthew 25, pardon me if I'm wrong, 25 or 26, too far into the book to know. Caiaphas says, who are you? Are you the Christ? You want me to paraphrase Jesus' response? Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Give it a read. I'm a, it's a dead-on paraphrase. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. My friends, who is Jesus? Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. Father God, would you help us to rest in the truth of who our Savior is? Holy Spirit, would you please graciously give us a right understanding, an ability to see clearly with spiritual eyes, a bit more fully today, who Jesus is, where Jesus is, is, why Jesus came, and what it means, Lord Jesus, that you will come again. Lord God, help us to rest in the discomfort of this life. In this world, we will have trouble, but you've overcome the world. This is not our home. We should always have a bit of homesickness. In this world, things will not always go as we feel they should. People will not always treat us the way we want them to. We will be let down. We will be hurt. But you, Lord Jesus, will never leave us nor forsake us. And Lord God, in light of that, help us not look to others to treat us how we want them to, but to treat others as you have treated us. And as we do... Rejoice in the fact that in so doing, we glorify you. Lord God, give us the joyful confidence to let people get to know us, because even in our darkest sin, you are still at work. You have covered that sin, you are pruning us of that sin, and our identity is not found in that sin, it's found in you. Lord Jesus, help us to think. Help us to think about why we we get angry. Why we get anxious. Why we have certain secret habitual patterns that we'd never want anyone to know about. Why we seek to find joy and comfort in things other than you. And through that, Lord Jesus, reveal to us more fully who you are so you might sit in your throne in fullness in our lives functionally how we live. Lord Jesus, help us. Lord Jesus, comfort us. Lord Jesus, strengthen us. Lord Jesus, do do the impossible work of causing us to desire and delight in doing your will, not our will. Lord Jesus, do the impossible work of causing us to not delight in making a name for ourselves, but making much of your name. God, do the impossible work of causing us not simply to love people we find lovely, but to love people who are truly unlovable, because that is what you did for us. And Lord, as we do these things, may we rejoice and praise you, because it is only in your power that those things can be done. And Lord, it is only as we truly know who you are and who we are and walk in those truths that we will find the joy of doing your will. So Lord Jesus, help us leave here today with a bit clearer and fuller understanding of who you truly are. And I pray, Lord, that you would be gracious enough to allow us to gather next week to see through this text why you truly came and what you will one day truly do. Lord, this week the world around us celebrates Thanksgiving. And It's a time when everyone gives thanks for their stuff. Lord God, may we be the people who give thanks even if every bit of our stuff was taken away because we are yours and you are ours, and it is in such that we can rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, give us the ability to boast in you, perhaps, this Thursday around a Thanksgiving table, to tell people a bit about who you are and why you came. God incarnate, Emmanuel, Jesus, our Lord and Savior and friend. In your holy and precious name, dear Jesus, we pray. Amen.